Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk truth about rocking the CRT world, Larry Elder and Alan West both running for governor, Congressman Jody Heiss and a Georgia reckoning, Texas Democrats flee, and I'll tell you why, and January 6th, prisoners of conscience. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. So big news, of course, out of California, which was Larry Elder, a longtime, well-loved, longtime known podcaster, uh, a black American man, conservative advocate, author, podcaster, speaker, just, just really among the most renowned uh, of black conservative leaders in America, Larry Elder announced he's running for governor in California. And I'll quickly tell you how this works in California because this is they're in an unusual situation. So the current governor, Gavin Newsom, is at, under a recall petition and even to get to the number of signatures needed on the recall petition was a real uh, effort, a huge effort, and the recall petition uh, got more, far more signatures than needed, and so then it became, once the, uh, they had to certify it, the Secretary of State certifies, okay, there are enough signatures, the citizens of California want to vote on recalling Governor Newsom, then it was incumbent on the Secretary of State to say, you know, when is this going to happen, Set, setting the date for it. Well, the date is very, very close, September 14th this year, like just, you know, two months away, less than two months away. So you have, or actually exactly two months away. So you have uh, Jenner is in, and in fact, Jenner has already said, even if this recall doesn't work, Jenner is going to run in 2022. Newsom's term, by the way, he, he won in 2018, you know, began being governor in 2019. He can be up again in 2022, and California limits are governors to two terms, but he could run for a second term in 2022. So Jenner has already announced in, in this race. Additionally, there are, and I didn't look them all up, I probably will before September 14th, but numerous other people put their names in, and now Larry Elder is running for governor. And in part, he said he was encouraged by many conservative leaders. In fact, I was getting texts over the weekend when we were at CPAC uh, with my kind of Republican uh, insider buddies in California saying, yeah, you know, I, I think that Larry Elder is going to do it. So. The way it works is this. On September 14th, the voters in California go to the ballot box and they have the first question is, do you want to vote to recall Governor Newsom? It's a yes or no. And if you vote yes, I assume even if you vote no, you get to make a choice. But what, I'm not sure. I, I think however you vote in question one, you know, do you want to recall the governor? Yeah, I'm sure everyone gets to vote in question two. Question two is then, so who do you want to be governor in place of Governor Newsom? So you go and you say, yes, I want um, Newsom gone or no, I don't. Question two is, which of these choices of these declared candidates do you want to have be governor instead of Newsom? And they don't require a majority. A plurality winner of that second question becomes governor. It's the most amazing thing. Now, so all these people putting their names in, including this most recent Larry Elder, I mean, they could emerge as governor. I'm not sure if it takes a week transition or how long the time is or less, but you put your name in, you're going to be governor very soon if uh, Newsom is successfully recalled. Now, I'm going to say, I think that the odds of Newsom being recalled, I don't mean to be a pessimist. I'm trying to be a realist. You know, we lived in California many years. My husband and I met in California uh, working in a large corporate law firm. Uh, so we, you know, we, and we have family out there. We're in California quite a bit, visiting family and, you know, just enjoying the California beaches. So I know California a little bit and I cannot imagine that this recall will be successful. I will say the people who want the recall to happen, who want to recall Newsom, they are fired up. So now the question is, how fired up can the Democrats and can Governor Newsom in particular get his base to be to show up on the 14th and vote no, you know, no, vote no, do not recall the governor. 
a lot of the strategists in California on the conservative side are saying that the Secretary of State deliberately chose a very early date, really not giving the other people who are running time, traction, to get themselves more familiar in California, more widely known. It's a huge state, obviously. Even people who have been active in politics for years, if they have been a representative or a senator in one particular area of California, may not be known anywhere else. So it, it's a really, really interesting race to watch. Uh, September 14th, either he's recalled or he's not. And if he is recalled, if Gavin Newsom's recalled, somebody on that list of other candidates becomes governor. Now on to Larry Elder, I will say this. He's talking about the idea that he was really urged by other conservative talk show hosts. Prager being one of them. And I just want to say there's something, I can't even think of the right word, so rich about the idea that in this era where the Democrats are living and breathing critical race theory, are weaving and spreading the lie about America, claiming that America is filled with white supremacists, filled with racists, filled with white privilege, that uh, white supremacism is the single biggest you know, threat to America's very existence, all hogwash, all concocted political manipulation, but the Democrats are using this. The idea of a Democrat stronghold like California going for a Larry Elder as governor would be, I mean, a home run beyond words, beyond words. I will say, I'm going to guess some of the people who have decided to put their name in for the September 14th vote, they may be Democrats. Maybe some Democrats are saying, okay, well, you know, if, if we maybe we're going to recall Newsom, but surely the people of California won't pick, you know, a Republican. So I'll stick my name in there. Who knows? I might get it. In any case, it is so rich in this era of racialization, intentional manipulation of racial relations by the left in order to undermine America to have the idea of a truly beloved, articulate, warm, great guy, Larry Elder, putting his name in for California governor. Similarly, here in the great state of Texas, we don't have a special election, but we do have a regular election next year. So the current governor in Texas is Republican Greg Abbott, and he is running again in 2022. He's now has three Republican primary challengers. And so he's gonna face a primary in March here in Texas, and all three of the Republican primary challengers most definitely would place themselves to the right of Greg Abbott. They're saying, you know, he's not conservative enough. He hasn't done enough of these things. He was far too strict during the COVID lockdown. He extended the, the, lock, the, shut, the shutdown. He permitted the masks. He just, he enabled local bureaucrats to be repressive in the regulations they put in place. So there's a lot of criticism of Governor Abbott's handling uh, of COVID. Uh, many, of, if, for those of us who pay a lot of attention in Texas to politics, other criticisms of him, we'll probably go over those as the uh, race gets closer. But I somehow the, the picture of in America in 2022, even the outside potential that you could have the largest Democrat state in the country, California, or maybe New York's larger in population, I don't know, but California anyway, a Democrat stronghold with the potential to emerge with a black Republican governor, Larry Elder, and the gray state of Texas could possibly have the first black Republican governor. These are great things. And the reason they're great, not just because they're both great guys, but because they begin to put the lie to the American people front and center that all of this talk about America being filled with racists, with intolerant people, with people who do not like other people because of the color of their skin. There's just rampant lying by the left you know, under the guise of critical race theory, under the guise of BLM and Antifa and 1619 Project and every other way the left can concoct an argument that there is a massive racist problem in this country. It would be a fabulous message to America most definitely for the Republican Party to not only have the uh, people in these very populous states of Texas and California uh, choose black Republican governors, I mean black governors, but choose black Republican governors. It would be awesome. So it's a very exciting t thing. I think it's a great, um, you know, right in the face of those trying to press is the critical race theory and press uh, a picture of America that is so unjust, so unfair, so outrageous, so dishonest. Uh, it'd be a great thing to see one or both of those gentlemen emerge uh, at, because they also happen to have, it's not, it's not just their skin color, to be very clear. Both of them are very substantive, serious, thoughtful, 
um, left uh, very, very well articulate, able to lay out the argument for conservative policies. Both of them are genuine conservatives, strong conservatives, people who have who understand the policies, who can go beyond the rah-rah slogans and really get in depth on issues that matter of all kinds. And so to have that kind of black Republican elected governor in California and Texas would be truly awesome. A lot of ifs in there, a lot of dates, Not we haven't even gotten there yet. We don't know how the primary will go in Texas. We don't know what's gonna happen in California, September 14th. But even the message to the American people and the citizens of California and the citizens of Texas that a black Republican is happily stepping up to run for governor is all by itself a bit of a um, bubble burster, a bit of a message to the leftist trying to spread critical race theory that the American people see right through you. What you're saying is not true, that these people would not be running to be Republican governors if this whole uh, hogwash theory of critical race theory were really valid in America. Just, just a great time in America for people who are leaders, conservative black leaders, well-informed, uh, articulate, and able to talk about issues, stepping up and running. And this is a time, by the way, if you've ever thought, and you're serious about it, for running for political office, whether it's mayor, city council, school board, the time for conservatives to run, to speak up is now. Run for office, stand for the ideas that you understand to be true, be part of the solution, instead of just sitting home grumbling about the other politicians who didn't do the right thing. So that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So while I was at CPAC over the weekend, um, I talked to lots of great Americans. I mean, lots of great Americans, elected officials, uh, thought leaders, just a lot of great people there. One I got an, an opportunity to interview was Congressman Jody Heiss. Congressman Heiss is uh, from Georgia. He's been in Congress. Uh, he won in 2015, so he began serving in 2016. So he's been there, you know, just, I guess, at three terms, or he's in the middle of his third term. And he has now announced he's not running again for Congress because he's running in Georgia for Secretary of State. And this kind of ties into the whole election issue and election fraud issue that we talk about on this show. So Jody Heiss, I happened to have met him at a conference in Florida a couple of years ago. Uh, so I had talked to him once, just a really nice guy. He actually went to seminary school. He's a salt of the earth, really nice, really warm guy, just, just a great guy. Um, and he's stepping down from Congress and be really clear, he lives in a significantly Republican majority district, meaning he's a very safe seat. He could just keep running for Congress probably for a long time and stay in Congress. And he's been very influential. He's very articulate and very well respected among his colleagues. But he is stepping down to run for Georgia Secretary of State. And you may recall during the 2020 election cycle and the aftermath election cycle, there was a lot of uh, attention being paid to the then current or still current Georgia Secretary of State uh, named Raffensperger, um, who was the one, among other things, was the one who was um, on the phone with President Trump. Uh, and, and afterwards, um, Brad Raffensperger, I couldn't think of his first name, Brad Raffensperger, uh, was on the phone with President Trump, and that call became the subject of inquiry about whether or not Trump had, you know, kind of tried to arm twist the people in Georgia to question the outcome of the election. And many Georgia Republicans were very disappointed that the Secretary of State, with tremendous authority over election process, procedure, certification, that the Georgia Secretary of State did not in any way validate what was becoming obvious increasing evidence of election fraud. He kept saying, no such thing, can't see it here, I don't know what you're talking about, no such thing. And he continued that into the uh, new year. So there are uh, several other people also challenging Raffensperger, but Jody Heights, I think, is the most has the most gravitas about him, the most seriousness about him. And he's running, and, and Raffensperger is running again. So Jody Heiss is challenging Raffensper Raffensperger, Raffensperger as a Georgia Secretary of State. I did a quick interview with Jody Heiss and play that for you. I'll tell you a few more good things about that. Actually, one more, wait, wait, one more quick thing. Matt the Wonderful. So I sent uh, Matt a um, just a, a copy of an endorsement the day that Jody Heiss announced he's running for Secretary of State. Donald Trump endorsed him. And so this is March of this year. Uh, her good news, one of the most outstanding congressmen, Jody Heiss, has announced he's running for Secretary of State in the great state of Georgia. He's been a steadfast fighter for conservative Georgia values, staunch ally of the America First agenda. 
Unlike the current Georgia Secretary of State, Jody heads out front, leads um, out front with integrity. I have 100% confidence in Jody to fight for free, fair, and secure elections in Georgia in line with our beloved Constitution. He'll stop fraud, he'll get honesty back into elections. Jody loves the people of Georgia, has my complete and total endorsement. So, now having shown you that, I'm going to ask Matt the Wonderful to play this interview. I did a, I just had a recording microphone, didn't have a camera, so I just, you know, passing it back and forth between me and Jody Heiss last weekend at CPAC. As I mentioned, I had the great privilege of going to the CPAC conference here in Dallas and ran into some different people. I was so excited they were available to talk to me for a few minutes. One is Georgia Congress, member of Congress from Georgia, Jody Heiss. He, if you recognize that name, he's been in the news a lot because he has been in Congress since 2015 and he is now running for Georgia Secretary of State. And just this morning, I think it was, or a couple days ago, President Trump endorsed him, which is the best thing to help that race along. So without further ado, I want to say hello to Congressman Jody Heiss. Debbie, great to be with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, and we're, look, we're in the fight of our life for our country right now. And, you know, for me, the heart of it comes down to having free and fair elections. I believe that's on the heart of everyone pretty much in America. They understand that if we lose honest elections, we lose everything. And we, we've got to get this right. And so that really is what's uh, causing me to transition frankly out of a very safe congressional district but we've got to we've got to defend our election integrity i love it you're saying that i was going to comment i did happen to know your district is a really safe republican one and honestly in washington you're a fighter too so to decide to leave washington and move towards secretary of state of georgia had to be a big decision and so i'm going to guess us tied directly to the georgia uh, alleged outcome of the elections in 2020. So tell me where you th I think Georgia has a lot in play. Georgia has the potential for information coming out related to a recount or an audit that may change the outcome of the Georgia election. So where do we stand on that? There's a lot happening. You're exactly right. Um, and Georgia is very much in play. There is a forensic audit that is now taking place. I spoke with the attorney who is leading that up just two days ago to get an update. I really am not free to share a whole lot except to say they are finding a lot of significant issues and they are just getting at the tip of the iceberg and already a lot is happening. On top of that, just yesterday, the Federalists broke some breaking news that there were some 35,000 people in Georgia who moved from one county to the other and yet they voted in the county from which they moved, which is illegal. Ten, over 10,000 of those have already been absolutely confirmed, and there's probably another 10 to 15,000 that's in process of being confirmed. That changes everything. It's a systemic problem in that case that involves every House district, every Senate district, every congressional district, every county in the entire state. So this is not just focused in Fulton County. This is a problem that was statewide where we had tens of thousands of illegal voters voting in a county in which they did not live. Before we turn the microphone on today, you were mentioning to me, we were talking about the Arizona audit is soon to be released to the public. I believe the Arizona Senate is now looking again at the same audit that's been completed. And you were talking about the idea in Georgia, there may be actually a kind of run for the money, who gets the information out first about their audit. But I didn't realize until we were talking, I've only been focused on the outcome of the presidential election. You were indicating that in Georgia, it may be that the outcome of this audit shows that the two Georgia Senate races, which as we talked about in the show many times in the past, in an odd, fluky circumstance, Georgia was electing two, both members of the U.S. Senate from Georgia at the same time. That outcome of both Senate races may also now be in question. Can you just talk about that? Yeah, and you're exactly right. I mean, and I'm so proud of Arizona. Arizona is doing a great job at auditing, and now Georgia is as well. I don't know which one of them will come out with the first information, but I believe that both of them are going to come out with information that President Trump actually won. But in the case of Georgia, as you mentioned, it is not just the presidential race that is at stake for anyone to believe that Georgia a red state elected two of the most radical left-wing Marxist senators in our nation is just unthinkable. I, I'm convinced it didn't happen. So if this audit comes out and the investigation, the election investigation that is underway comes out, indeed that President Trump won, obviously 
What that also means is that David Perdue won, very likely Kelly Leffler won, and so instantly we have not a presidential election at stake. Look, if Georgia proves that Trump won, that's one thing, but still you need four other states to come up with the same conclusion. But if it can be determined that two Republican senators won in Georgia, now that changes our entire nation because no longer is the Senate under the, the leadership of Chuck Schumer, but it comes back under Republican control. And that very likely, or very possibly, I should say, is hanging in the balance of the uh, investigation, the forensic investigation underway in Georgia. I'm smiling while you're speaking because I actually had no idea that was likely, but obviously it makes sense. If you're going to do the audit of the Georgia election, you're going to be looking at the votes for Senate also. That would be a game changer. I'm going to research later how exactly what the logistics are, how you change that outcome, what has to happen within state government to change those two Senate seats, but there has to be a way. We cannot allow that kind of fraud to stand once it is proven. I want to switch quickly. I know you have another speaking thing to go to, but switch quickly to the situation in Congress. In America, conservatives, and we were actually just sitting here at CPAC talking to strangers who are just chit-chatting in the hallway. People are aware that the January 6th episode at the Capitol involving some people engaged in some wrongdoing, but that it is seems to be being manipulated by Nancy Pelosi, by the Democrats, really uh, morphed from a few people who were out of control and behaved badly to a, an alleged insurrection, and it is being used by Nancy Pelosi. She, in fact, there was an announcement this morning uh, of a new large multi-million dollar fund they're creating for further investigation of the January 6th incident at the riots at the Capitol is a good word for it, not insurrection. I just want to get your read on it. Do you have a sense Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are politicizing what occurred on January 6th? Yeah, there's no question they're politicizing this, and now they're even going beyond politicizing. They're weaponizing it for their own political purposes. Um, and, and what I mean by that, they're coming against those of us who are pushing back. I'm a ranking member in the Oversight Committee, so this uh, our committee has tremendous jurisdiction. We've had multiple hearings on the January 6th uh, riots, whatever you want to call it. And yes, it was wrong. I, and I've condemned what happened on January, January 6th, still do. But what the Democrats failed to acknowledge, and this, this is documented, there were last summer 574 confirmed, declared riots across this country. And the Democrats have said nothing about those riots. There were businesses lost, lives lost, over 2,000 law enforcement officers injured, and they have said nothing about that. The only reason they're going after January 6th is to harm President Trump, either to prevent him from running again or to injure him politically to the extent that he no longer has political influence. It's all about Trump. It's all about attacking him. And that is why the focus is on January 6th and trying to attach him to that. But uh, listen, he was still speaking when the riot started. So it was there. There was there is no physical way that anything he said. It's a 45-minute walk from where he had the speech to where to the Capitol. Uh, to try to tag this on him is physically an impossibility to do. But that's what their attempt is, and it's all for political purposes. Could not agree more. It's, it's opportunistic politically, and I think the hypocrisy is staring the American people in the face as you talk about the damage in our country. I don't know how many cities where there were riots ongoing for almost a year, property destroyed, businesses destroyed, cars destroyed, lives destroyed, and that is of no interest to this group of this cabal of Democrats in Washington. They're only interested in making sure they can make January 6th out of from a riot into some kind of actual insurrection, and it is truly is. It's actually deplorable. To use the correct use of the word deplorable, truly deplorable. I want to ask you if you want, if our listeners want to support your campaign for Georgia Secretary of State, is there a website they can go to? JodyHeist.com. It's real easy to remember. It's J-O-D-Y-H-I-C-E. JodyHeist.com. And listen, we ask for prayer support uh, first and foremost, uh, and and any other way that people can help us out. Obviously, uh, this is this. 
this race is already taking on national focus. Uh, CNN actually came out saying this is going to be the number one down ballot race in America. There's no question about that. Stacey Abrams and company are doing everything they can to win the Georgia Secretary of State position. And of course, you have President Trump and all of us on the other side. Uh, this is a, a huge race. People are becoming aware of the importance of secretaries of state and primarily of the issue of in election integrity. So, yes, we encourage people to go to our website, jodyheist.com, and help us out any way they can. Congressman Heist, thank you so very much for taking time to talk with me. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for all you do. Keep the torch ablaze. Thank you, sir. Okay, so that was just too much fun. That was actually at CPAC. We just found uh, a lobby area with a little place you can step to the side. And, um, you know, you can hear a little bit of background noise. It wasn't too bad. Anyway, he was just a great guy. And I'm excited about his campaign and wanted to share what he had to say. I want to add one last point to it before I turn to my next topic. What he's saying, both in what you heard and in conversation before and after our interview, in Georgia... It appears when this forensic audit is completed that number one, President Trump appears at one Georgia in 2020, which doesn't mean that the election changes because you know that wasn't enough electoral votes, but also potentially one or both of these Senate seats, U.S. Senate seats in Georgia, which, as I mentioned, was a, a fluky circumstance where they were both up at the same time. Part of what you hear people say, even if that is true, if the audit shows that actually the two Republican senators won or any other audit shows that a wrong outcome was certified, you will hear people say, well, I mean, but what are you going to do now? I mean, and they're, they're, you know, the people who were declared winners are serving and, you know, we don't have a legal mechanism. We don't know how to do this. We don't know what process to follow. You know, why don't we just let it go and then the future will be better about our elections. And I want to say we cannot let the difficulty of process or of solving a question of, of first impression, a legal question of first impression, or a complex legal battle, or opposition from the media, or opposition from the left, none of those things can be permitted to cause us to surrender and allow a fraudulent election to stand. I don't know the process, but you'll hear the argument from the left because we can't think of, and, and frankly, from some people on, our, on the right, since we can't figure out a process, we just have to let it go. And exactly the opposite is true. You don't start with the question, can we find a process? And if we do, we'll somehow bring back those two centers and put the ones who actually won in. That cannot be the order of thinking. The order of thinking is the people of Georgia had the right to choose their two senators, and we must go with the truth of the outcome of the election. So the answer has to be truth must prevail. The actual results must prevail. That is the answer. We will follow that, and then we'll step back and say, okay, we're going to have to figure out the process to get there. We can't surrender because there has been so much uh, time lapse since the election and so many people you know, move their lives up to Washington or all the other changes you make. We have to start with utter determination to get to truth. And then when we get to truth to allow truth to dictate the next step. If the truth is that both Republican senators in Georgia won, then the answer is they need to be representing Georgia in the U.S. Senate. And of course, that changes everything about the balance of power in Washington. Everything. Right now, the Senate is at that 50-50 phase. And, you know, we have endless battles trying to figure out what we can get through. We count on one or two wobbly Democrat senators maybe holding the um, Democrats back from the unbelievably dangerous legislation they're pushing on all sorts of fronts. So, that's a big story. We'll follow that. Now, see what happens. In fact, you heard him allude to it, but I was talking to him before we started saying, well, you know, the, the Arizona audit's going to come out pretty soon. And he said, you know, the Georgia audit might just beat them. It might come out first. So to be watched, but Jody Heist, great guy, Secretary of State. And I'll tell you something else. It kind of ties into our next topic. But the Georgia Secretary of State is not being criticized 
simply because he wouldn't go along with President Trump. And that's what he's trying, he and his supporters are trying to characterize. That all these Trump people trying to drive me out of office, I just did my job. My job was to determine the outcome. And I determined that, uh, you know, unfortunately for the Republicans, because the guy's Republican, but unfortunately for Republicans, you know, Biden won and so it goes. And would not open his eyes and look at the evidence being presented. And he continued that attitude, that stance, moving forward into the new year. So what I want to say about Raffensperger, because it ties very much, who is the incumbent Secretary of State in Georgia, it ties very much into what we're going to talk about next, which is what's happening in Texas, because we have now the Democrats, uh, who elected Democrats serving in the Texas legislature, have flown the coop, have, have literally physically got on a plane and went to Washington in order to deny a quorum to the Texas legislature. And we're going to get that in just a moment. But to tie back to Georgia, the whole question of what you expect of your elected leaders. Do you expect them to have the courage to push things based on truth and regardless of how popular it is, regardless of whether or not they're going to be mocked by the media and pummeled by the left and mocked and ridiculed and scorned and derided by the left, by the media, and maybe by some people in their own party, do you expect that kind of leadership or not? And do you expect the people you elect to stand with truth? Or do you say, well, you know, what was he supposed to do? So Raffensperger is kind of saying, hey, you know, we had the election. It appeared that Biden won Georgia. You know, I'm not going to get involved in this. He didn't have the courage. He didn't have the discernment. He didn't have that grit that says something's wrong here and we're going to look into it. Many people assume perhaps Raffensperger was even more than just unwilling to look into it, but perhaps fully aware of the kind of fraud that occurred and, and in some way was unwilling to expose that, for some reason unwilling to expose that. Whatever it is, this is a, a Jody Heiss is being brave. As I say, you could sit in Congress and get reelected for a long time and be respected in Congress and move forward passing great bills and fighting on things. But he's going after somebody in Georgia who did not have the courage, the backbone, and the grit to stand up. So Jody Heiss, I don't know who else is running. Probably other people are fine also. But Jody Heiss is one really, really well-respected conservative. And I'm very grateful he's running. Okay, now I want to turn and talk to you about this is my next topic for today. It has to do with what's happening in Texas. And I'll first ask, I, I called, I captioned it, Texas Democrats flee and why. And Matt, if you can put the picture up of people on an airplane. Put that picture up, leave that up there for a second, please. And I want to just mention to you, this is a, and I saw a funny post by a friend of mine, so I'm going to repeat what he had to say. This is an airplane full of elected Democrats who are supposed to be sitting in the Texas legislature doing their job in a special session. Texas has had our regular sessions over. The governor's called a special session. And the very first bill that they are covering and real, dealing with is election integrity. These Democrats, in order to deny the body a quorum, don't have sufficient people on the floor, got on a plane and flew to Washington instead of, and they literally fled the state. And so these are elected Democrats. My friend's really funny comments were, well, you know, for one thing, is an airplane full of Democrats not wearing masks, according to federal guidelines. It's a private jet chartered by all Democrats. So aren't they responsible for global warming? It's a bunch of Democrats called in sick to avoid work that they're getting paid to do. Another good point. And they failed to represent their constituents. And finally, are they just posting this picture? And they, all of them, by the way, have posted this picture on their social media. Uh, so he's just basically making the point, you know, pretty hypocritical picture. Okay, so back to what we're going to talk about. So these people are supposed to be in the Texas legislature. They fled to Washington. And now I want to tell you, kind of, I, want, I call this why, because I want to make a really, uh, I think it's an important point. I'm going to dive in and talk about what the fuss is about. In Texas, we have election integrity legislation that really didn't make it through the, the full session, the regular session. And in Texas, the, the, the uh, state government only meets, the, uh, the uh, legislature meets six months every other year. I mean, it's a, it's a way to prevent them from passing a bunch of laws, but they still do. But anyway, they only meet for six months every other year. Right now, we're in a special session called by the governor to address certain pressing issues one being election integrity. These people, 
don't want to be in the House, the Texas House and Senate. They don't want to be there discussing election integrity. So they flew away, which takes away the quorum. This is the first point I want to make. If the bill pending in front of the Texas legislature was something absurdly wrong, like we're going to take away the right of women to vote, or we're going to take away the right of senior citizens to vote, or some other evil thing that you know is wrong, and if you're in the minority and you can see the majority is going to pass something truly evil, then you know maybe you think, yeah, this is justified. I'm not going to enable, I'm not going to allow the majority to pass such evil legislation. And if it were something like that, like taking away the right of women to vote or some other horrible thing, you know, reinstating segregation, you know, I could see go, taking extreme measures to avoid being in the legislature. Well, this is how the Democrats are trying to characterize the election integrity bills. They're trying to say that the bills on the floor of the tech in, in the Texas legislature are essentially voter suppression bills. These are their, this is the language they use. They are fleeing to prevent Republicans from passing voter suppression bills. And they went to Washington, that's where their private jet flew them. They flew to Washington to push the Democrats in Washington to, in the Senate, to finally pass the, uh, the bill that the Democrats called the For the People Act, which was, or I've been calling it, the Vote Fraud Mandate Act, Mandating Vote Fraud Act, the most egregious, outrageous political grab of power by imaginable by the Democrats who have a slim majority in Washington. That's what the Democrats in Texas went to Washington to push, to tell the people in Congress, you got to push this massive. And, and when I tell you, we've talked about it before, but I want to do spend a little bit of time today contrasting the bills the Democrats are protesting on the floor of Texas House, Texas legislature, and what they want Congress to pass. Because it all matters, that's why I titled this why, it all matters what is in the bills. It's easy to just take a political side and say, oh, Democrats did it, that's bad. You know, they're they are behaving badly, really badly. And, and running from the argument and, and, and actually abandoning their own constituents, abandoning the job they're being paid for. And they're really telling the people of Texas, we don't care what the majority of you chose for government. We don't care what, what you chose for Texas government. We have, a, you know, we have a Texas legislature, we have a House, we have a Senate. We don't care who you chose. We don't care that you chose Republican majority and that, and that the Republican majority is putting bills through that you, the, the, uh, voter, the majority of voters want. We, the Democrats, we're gonna hold all of Texas hostage because we don't like what the majority of Texans wanted, what the majority of the elected Texans wanted. It is a, an absolute slap across the face to every single Texas voter. But the question is, of course, how bad is a bill? What, what's wrong with a bill that they are fleeing on, don't wanna vote on, and what is in the bill that they wanna have pass in Washington? So very, very quickly, I'm gonna tell you the highlights of the bill that the Democrats are saying justifies jumping on a plane to get, this is the second time they've done this, by the way, in this, on this issue. I can't remember the early time was in May, I think, whenever it was, they are avoiding trying to prevent a quorum so the majority can pass legislation. They can't pass it without a certain quorum. So here are the things they're objecting to. So in Texas, as happened in other states, some Local government, local county election boards, county election people, county government run by Democrats and happened all over the country seized on the existence of COVID and the fear of COVID to change election law, to put in place election procedures that are not permitted by state law. This was a problem all over the country and the, the local officials did it because, and they, under the excuse of, well, you know, because of COVID, we have to change everything about elections. And they put in place procedures not permitted by law. And, and as you know, the US Constitution says, the legislatures of each state can make, must make election law, not the county government, not the county election board, not the county board or county, county commissioner court, not the local people, the state legislature. But in this COVID era in 2020, 
Houston especially and other big areas chose to ignore the federal constitution, ignore state law, and put in place things that are not permitted. And frankly, in the panic of COVID and in the notion and uh, recognizing how, how thoroughly the media and the left would attack anyone trying to undermine or, or question these uh, unnecessary election procedures, a lot of it, they got away with it. They use them. So this bill that the Democrats are fleeing to Washington over um, has the idea of, that the, in Houston, it's called Harris County. Harris County set up drive-through voting, like drive-through McDonald's, get a Diet Coke, drive-through and vote. You know, very much, it was a I know they had the argument about COVID. The point of it was you don't have the same kind of procedures when you go in a voting location and you give them your picture ID and they say, oh, let me, okay, Debbie Georgiatis, this is your picture, your license. Okay, you're registered. You're in the right precinct. Here's your ballot. This drive-in, drive-through voting was clearly set up or uh, the suspicion was it was set up to permit uh, kind of voting where there was not sufficient voter ID, there wasn't checking in what the IDs were all about. It was a, it was a um, you know, just a, a, a makeshift operation. Um, they also set up 24-hour voting, also not permitted by state law. So one thing that's in these bills uh, is to say, actually, we don't permit, and we're, gonna, we're clarifying, none of these counties can put things together that aren't permitted by state law. If you want to change state law and you want to make state law permit drive-through voting, then you have to have a bill go through the legislature. So all this bill is saying that is, you know, no, no drive, no, no drive-by voting uh, and no 24-hour voting. You got to follow state law. That is being attacked by Democrats as uh, somehow an attack on minorities or on, I mean, it's just idiotic, but somehow not letting local jurisdictions make up stuff as they go along related to election law, they are characterizing as trying to suppress the minority vote. I mean, it's idiotic, but these are the kind of arguments Democrats make. Another big thing, the most substantive change is in this Texas law has to do with requiring voter ID measures for mail-in ballots. Again, COVID got used by the Democrats across this country to justify previously unorthodox, everyone knew were unorthodox procedures. You know, sending out mail-in ballots unsolicited, just shooting out. And you, we had people during the, during the election cycle last year saying, hey, look, you're showing, I got five mail-in ballots. I could have voted five times. And so in Texas, even though it wasn't permitted, you had local officials just doing this, just sending out massive unsolicited mail-in ballots. So they're saying one thing is, you know, one thing is in this bill is you have to have voter ID measures for mail-in ballots. Well, I mean, if you don't have voter ID, if you don't have a mail-in ballot required to use some, to show a voter ID in some way, then you're just permitting, as the Democrats seem to think is okay, anyone can send in a mail-in ballot. We have no way of verifying, hey, that's okay, don't worry about it. So Texas is saying, no, actually, that we're gonna have voter ID for mail-in ballots. Um, and uh, I mean, there's just a series of, the, there, um, I thought, I'll tell you the other uh, hot things in here. Voter ID for mail-in ballots uh, tells local government officials, you cannot mail out unsolicited mail-in ballot applications. I mean, you just don't send them out willy-nilly. If someone wants one, they can apply for one. But you don't just send them out. This is what the left did in just flooding the nation with unsolicited mail-in ballots. Um, standardizes and even extends polling hours. So more legitimate legal polling hours makes more. Um, and the House and Senate bill didn't quite agree last time. But anyway, it gave them, it, it expands hours, but it makes them uniform. Also uh, expedites injunctive relief, makes it faster to get injunctive relief, injunction, go to a court to get an order and prioritizing judicial consideration of election violations. Get to a judge faster when things happen. One thing that is huge in this bill, and it just tells you the absurdity of the Democrats' objection, there is a provision in this bill that says for the people who do, who are poll watchers, whose job it is, I've been a poll watcher, I've been an election judge, election clerk, and all those jobs. Poll watchers are supposed to be able to watch the process. That's the whole point of being a poll watcher. As you saw in the last election cycle, you had people trying to prevent the poll watchers from getting anywhere close to actually what was happening. 
So they couldn't see what was happening. So, I mean, and, and I think it was Pennsylvania, the absurdity, they were like halfway across a room and behind a, a plexiglass you know, structure, and they're supposed to be poll watching. Poll watching means you can see what's happening. So our bill, the Texas bill says pretty much, you have to give the poll watchers access to actually see what's happening. You, don't, you, you comply with the poll watcher requirement by actually putting them in a place they can see what's happening. And there was one big spokesperson for the, for the you know, Democrat, for the leftists, who was saying, well, this enables poll watchers who may engage in you know, abusive behavior. They may be partisan. They may, you know, they may be disruptive. Well, let me just make clear, if you're a poll watcher and you are disruptive or you are in any way antagonizing voters or even engaging with voters, there are procedures in place. You get kicked out. It's how it works. Everyone knows this. I'm telling you people, these are farcical, false, absurd allegations that the left is making that somehow these provisions, these changes in law in Texas are somehow voter suppression. There's nothing suppressing about the Texas legislation relating to election integrity. There's nothing about, there's nothing that suppresses votes, suppresses votes or voters or is in any way racist about the Texas legislation, the Georgia legislation, and legislation happening all over this country. But because the left knows if they play the race card, if they say, well, this is probably intended to suppress voting uh, for people of color, they'll get all sorts of idiotic news outlets saying, oh my gosh, that's terrible in Georgia, they're doing this, in Texas, they're doing this. This is what's in the Texas bill. It is pure common sense. In fact, many actual common sense provisions that many conservatives were pushing did not even get included. There isn't nearly as much in this bill as there should be. Same with Georgia, but even this is not okay with the left. They're not okay having the, the laws in a state clarify and set up provisions for voter integrity. The vote integrity laws, election integrity laws in Texas, Georgia, and everywhere else are not about vote suppression. They are about voter integrity. And there was a huge problem about voter integrity in 2020, which these bills are trying to fix. So the Democrats flee Texas, and what they want in place, they're up in Washington, rah-rahing to the legislature, to the Congress. You gotta pass the, um, uh, I gotta tell you what's happening in Texas very quickly before I turn to what the Democrats want. So in Texas, finally today, uh, the governor, Governor Abbott, issued an order basically saying that um, when the Texas Democrats return to Texas, they're going to be arrested, arrested, forced to go to the legislature. We had Sid Miller, who's our Texas Agricultural Commissioner and just a real, you know, cowboy hat kind of guy. Uh, he wrote a blistering letter to gov the governor and lieutenant governor saying, you need to punish these Democrats. When they get back, you got to arrest them. You got to force them to the legislature, lock the door. And among many things I hope actually happen, and I'm afraid, I'm concerned they won't happen. We should have, if you can believe this in Texas, if you don't know this about Texas, I think this will blow you away. So in Texas, we have a Republican majority, House and Senate. And yet, on key committees, important committees that have the power to hold legislation away from the floor, to refuse to put legislation in front of the committee for a vote, can use procedural tactics to prevent legislation from getting out of committee and to the floor of the House or Senate, even when they know that the bill would pass and the floor of the House or Senate, we have chairs people serving in cha as chairmanships and other high-ranking positions on committees in this Republican-majority state who are Democrat. I mean, when I first came here, I, I've lived you know, in New York, California, uh, Washington, D.C. I, I was really kind of blown away. So they, I mean, it's like a gentleman's thing or something in the South. They have Democrat chairs of committees, important committees in the Texas House and the Senate when there's a Republican majority. So one solution many people are saying was the Republicans who actually control the Texas Senate and the Texas House need to say when the Democrats come back, all Democrat chairmen are, are off the committee, no Democrats in any important positions of authority. And, and I'm telling you people, this is a kind of issue that will either galvanize the Republican base because they finally see that you have the governor and the Texas, the, the uh, Speaker of the House and the, guy, the lieutenant governor is the uh, ranking officer in the Senate or the leading officer in the Senate, the president of the Senate, 
those three characters, the governor, the speaker of the house, and lieutenant governor, need to show the voters that they are actually going to punish the Democrats for pulling this stunt, for lying about what's in the bill, number one, and number two, that just fleeing to avoid a quorum and they need to be punished and not just, you know, one week suspension from your chairmanship, like all next session, at least no Democrats chairing anything. And this is, you know, that's what the Democrats would do if the roles are reversed. So there's a lot of a lot of agitation in Texas. People want to see and there should have that same feeling to happen around the country when these kind of stunts are pulled. But let me just turn to tell you what the Democrats are pushing. So they, they're they just all all alleging, all you know, wildly claiming things are irresponsible and false, that the Texas bill is somehow voter suppression, which is absurd on its face. And yet what the Democrats do want is what the, Demo- what the Democrat majority in Washington put through. As I said, they call, called it the For the People Act. And I've been calling all along the, the Mandating Voter Fraud Act, Mandating Permanent Democrat Majority. It is full of provisions that no one who ever wanted election integrity would ever, ever, ever permit anywhere. It is a, it is a vote fraud enablement, vote fraud mandate act. So very quickly, what the Democrats want instead is what's pending in Washington. Number one, it is federal control over all elections. Uh, so violating the Constitution's presumption of the states running elections is eliminating voter ID. I mean, the absurdity, why would we need ID? Eliminate voter ID, we can just trust everyone. Who would cheat? I mean, this, it's, it's insane. Eliminating voter ID, signing people up, registering them for them to vote every time they engage in any way with the government. You go to get your welfare check. You sign up for welfare, you sign up for food stamps, and you're enrolled automatically in the voter rolls. And you can't check ID. You can't check citizenship. You can't check uh, even U.S. citizenship. Or to, you, you just let, you just sign them up. Sign them up. What could go wrong? So you have that bill. I mean, that those provisions. You have not only enabling all of the ballot harvesting stunts that the California Democrats use all the time and everyone understands are the absolute ticket to voter fraud, this bill in the Congress would mandate that every single state allow, permit, in fact, not just allow or permit, the states must engage in the same kind of voter fraud tactics that California has engaged in in years. The whole, you know, ballot harvesting, sending unsolicited mail-in ballots, having people show up with, you know, 30 ballots in their hands. Yeah, I just collected these, you know. I mean, not no limits on the number of mail-in ballots an individual can turn in. I mean, it is just, I mean, if, if we were, we'd have the skill the Democrats have in mockery and derision, we would be able to, to help America understand how out of line, how absurd this Democrat bill is in Washington. So Texas Democrats are fleeing the state because they want voter fraud to persist. The Washington DC Democrats pushing this bill are pushing it because they want vote fraud to persist, because they object to basic election integrity provisions like having to have a voter ID for mail-in ballot. I mean, <laughs> the idea that, you're, that they're acting like this is a, a minority vote suppression, suppressing the vote of people of color, it's just their go-to issue to claim it's somehow racist. The simple fact is the Democrats are squalor they're they're hollering and screaming and and you know temper tantruming which is not a word because some states are finally putting their foot down and saying we're not going to continue to permit the election fraud that happened in 2020 we're going to put a stop to the election fraud tactics the left uses we're going to require people to be citizens we're going to require them to have an id we're going to have an orderly process not this you know mark zuckerberg funded drop boxes everywhere, uh, people dropping off ballots, no mail-in ballot, no mail uh, no ID required, just chaos and absurdity of the 2020 elections. The idea that we even have to have a discussion about whether or not the election integrity provisions put in place in Texas, if we can get them to come back and vote, or put in place in Georgia, uh, if we even have to discuss whether or not those are valid and viable, you know, we're already in trouble. 
we have to start, we have to, on our side, just, we have to be fending off the arguments that somehow all of these are being proposed because of racism. I mean, I mean the left just plays, the, plays this game, you know, this racism card over and over and over. One other quick thing I'll tell you. So I quick scanned, I was going to get some summaries of the uh, various bills that are pending. And I just got to tell you, you know, I mean, I shouldn't use Google. Okay, I used Google. I did. So, but on Google... You try to, you know, what is in the Texas election integrity bills? What is in the Democrats for the People Act? And every single, and, and you know, why did the Democrats flee Texas? And every single headline, I mean, the headlines were so absurd. You know, Democrats proudly stand up to fight voter suppression in Texas. Well, I mean, if you're, you know, if you listen to my show, you're pretty well informed or other people's shows. But for the average Joe who works for a living and has a lot to do and they're very busy, they don't have time to read for themselves. They read headlines like that and they think, oh my gosh, the Republicans are trying to engage in vote suppression? That's outrageous. Why are they doing that? I mean, we, we are fighting a media that is spreading the same lies the Democrats spread about simple, absolutely common sense voter integrity provisions as being somehow vote suppression tactics used to repress the votes of minorities. Nothing could be further from the truth. And the Republicans who have the bravery to keep speaking up and keep standing up and keep supporting these bills truly deserve our support and our thanks. And when you hear things like this on my show, you hear me talking about things like this, I really urge you, tell your 10 best friends about what's really in the bill in Washington and what's really in the bills in Texas. I'll put these up later on our website. I'll add them to our show's links. Because when you see what's in there and you recognize the Democrats are complaining about vote suppression because you have to have an ID before you vote, and that to them is vote suppression. It's not, to be very clear, the, I don't even think um, the mass majority of Democrat elected officials, they don't even think it's vote suppression. They understand it's not vote suppression. They understand these voter integrity laws are simple, basic efforts to get voter integrity returned to our election system. And they don't want that because they thrive on and succeed in winning elections on the perpetuation of election fraud. One last quick story, and I haven't done much about this. I'll have to do more another day. But you know, January 6th, uh, the uh, incident that happened at the Capitol, you heard me mention it briefly in talking with Congressman Jody Heiss, our little clip we played earlier. You know, he was there. Uh, I've talked to other members of Congress who were there, other people who were there. And as he says, yes, there were a small number of people who engaged in violence, you know, broke windows and, and engaged in violence of various kinds. Um, but it was not an insurrection. And it was the FBI's acknowledged no one, no one who got inside the Capitol, none of the Trump MAGA people who were there, even if they were worked up after Trump's speech, no one had any weapons. No one. Except the officer who killed the American veteran, Ashley Babbitt, and they're now saying maybe it wasn't a Capitol Police officer, it might have been someone <clears throat> on Vice President Pence's protection team, not sure who fired that shot. The only one who died that day <clears throat> was killed at the hands of a local, of a federal officer, the Capitol Police officer, or some other person. No, none of the people who got in the Capitol even had weapons. Only a tiny portion of them engaged in violent conduct worthy of being arrested, and they are being arrested. But I want to make sure you understand that there are people now in Washington who were arrested that day for being in the Capitol, and they are still, still, to this day, because they got in the Capitol on January 6th, still being held in solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is recognized internationally, internationally, by countries who try to make standards and talk through policies about how you deal with prisoners, recognize itself as a form of torture. Torture. It is a way you drive, intentionally drive someone crazy. It's the way, it's way it should be confined to the most violent people who simply cannot be released in the prison population because they'll, they'll kill other people. It should be very confined. 
But these people, these are, and we have to start talking about them this way in our country, these are prisoners of conscience. These are people the left has decided, the dang Republicans, the, the, these people who got behind Trump and didn't, you know, and did not think there was election integrity in 2020, and some of them, a small number engaged in violence, but everyone they've managed to arrest, or many of them who got inside the Capitol that day, are being held in solitary confinement. This is kind of thing that, you know, Hugo Chavez would do, or, um, you know, Fidel Castro, truly evil dictators, tyrannical leaders do, doesn't belong in America. Even, I will tell you, um, it's turned out now the ACLU, rarely the friends of any conservatives, certainly not supporters of Trump, but the ACLU is now criticizing the way our government is handling these January 6th people questioning they're in solitary confinement for trespass for trespass and we're now we're in july this was you know they didn't all get arrested in january 6th but it's conduct stemming from january 6th and arrested in some in the aftermath and they're sitting in washington in solitary confinement as very much viewed by many conservatives and actually by just people who are civil rights activists it is, these are political prisoners these are people being confined to send a message to them, to the organizations that support them, to the leftists who, uh, I mean, to the people who are parts of organizations that don't mess with this administration. Don't think about challenging the 2020 election. Don't you dare come to the Capitol if you disagree with anything we're doing. This is a political message to people who are members of groups that these uh, confined and these people confined in solitary confinement are part of. It's a political message. It is grotesquely out of line. When the ACLU is siding with Trump supporters, you got to know there's a problem in the conduct that they are raising. So um, I want to be sure to uh, I have to do more of this another day. Uh, but there's a lot of conversation about the idea that in Washington, what we're watching is the left moving toward moving forward their um, their grasp on power, literally locking up political enemies literally uh you know putting people in solitary confinement for trespass and these are people they and, and they're being demonized of course by the media by the left by nancy pelosi i mean this is this this is the kind of thing america used to protest when it happened in cuba or venezuela or other countries when a tyrant rules and it's happening here in america we'll have to i'm out of time we'll have to talk about this another day but this is a huge huge story and really warrants the attention of everyone trying to hold on to this precious precious country i close the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you so we start our day by talking about rocking the crt world larry elder and alan west both running for governor now black conservatives running for the highest office in california and texas elder and west both Featured in the Uncle Tom movie, uh, you definitely should watch it. Uh, they both reject CRT, critical race theory. They embrace Martin Luther King, content of character. They reject 1619. They embrace 1776. They reject equality of outcome. They embrace equality of opportunity. They reject victimhood. They embrace achievement, meritocracy. They completely nullify the mainstream media boilerplate talking points about conservatives being racist. They represent a profound threat to what Democrats count on for their base, which is minorities. Just watch how the mainstream media attacks them. The radical left isn't pro-black. It uses race to divide America. And on Texas Democrats fleeing, and why? Texas Democrats evacuate the state house to prevent a quorum for legislative action, all for the purpose of blocking election integrity. Reforms, the open secret, Democrats cannot win elections without cheating, so they will do and say anything to block election integrity reforms, anywhere and everywhere. But Americans are waking up. Strong majorities support voter ID. Election audits are stirring support for election integrity reforms. Will the Texas GOP representatives finally stop believing Texas Democrats are moderate? Stop putting them in positions of power. Texas governor, lieutenant governor, and house speaker now under pressure to lead in accordance with Texas strong native conservatism. One last quick thing I did see before I came here today. House speaker Phelan 
uh, that's his last name, Phelan, did announce uh, he is going to support the idea of arresting the returning House members when they come back from Washington uh, and forcing them to show up and do their job in the legislature. And finally, we talked about January 6th prisoners of conscience. Evidence is piling up that points to January 6th as a setup. Too many visible leaders of the insurrection not charged. Questions of their informants. Videos show police inviting people into the Capitol. Thousands of hours of unreleased video footage can only be because it dispels a narrative of violence and insurrection. Treatment of jailed trespassers, unarmed people, now sitting in solitary confinement with no charges specified is sickeningly over the top in America. Trump requests to send in the National Guard two days before January 6th, rejected by Pelosi, and Pelosi says Trump was fomenting insurrection. If the FBI and DOJ want to restore public trust, they must release the video evidence, explain unindicted leaders, and spell out the charges versus the prisoners against the prisoners, and use the due process requirements our system mandates. My very fine friends, thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. On this show, America Can We Talk, I talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can